0: On today's episode of Doctor Who's That, we visit the Last Last Chance Saloon. Saloon. Howdy, partners, and welcome back to another episode of Doctor Who's That. I'm your expert Doctor Who host, Sean Gleason, and joining me as always, we have Andy. Howdy there, cowpokes.
1: My name is Andy, and I just uh, sauntered in from modern Doctor Who fandom.
2: And Bay. Well, hello there, pilgrim. I'm here with bells on my toes and rings on my fingers. (laughs) wow i did it i did it backwards from the song whoops
0: (laughs) and joining us this time we have tom hi i'm tom i'm not a cowboy (laughs) 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 well today if you can't tell we are talking about the gunslingers is that actually right It's the Gunslingers. Why do I Oh, man. Every time we say Gunslingers, there should be like a little audio sting with like ricocheting bullets. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. I'm like, why why do I have it in my notes that working titles include the Gunslingers? But anyway, (laughs) working titles for this one include The Wild West. Uh, This story aired in uh, mostly May of 1966 for our State of the Union. Immediately after the mythmakers wrapped up, Wiles and Tosh had commissioned the writer of that one, Donald Codden, to write another script, and Codden decided to do a humorous take on the Wild West, which was something that made William Hartnell really happy, because Hartnell was a big fan of Westerns, and he'd been pushing for a serial to take place in the Wild West for a long time. So Codden decided to just ignore the actual history and go with the more mythologized version of the Wild West. So a lot of what we see here in this story is based on previous movies that had been made about the gunfight at the OK Corral, as well as Wyatt Earp's own romanticized account. As he lived until like 1929 and had been spreading this story far and wide for years.
2: So Shawnee and I had watched at the same time and I said, well, I don't, I'm familiar with the names, uh, uh, like place names and character names and that sort of thing, but I don't really know the history or how it went down. And I was told, don't worry, neither did the writers.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, some of the many historical inaccuracies here. Everybody's heard about, you know, Wyatt Earp, the great marshal and hero of the O.K. Corral. Well, Wyatt Earp was not the marshal of Tombstone at the time. That was actually his brother, Virgil.
2: Who has a very small footprint in the story. Yeah,
1: Yeah, Sam
0: Elliott would be very sad. (laughs) Other inaccuracies here. Warren Earp and Phineas Clanton were not in Tombstone at the time, and both of them lived into the 1900s. Basically, the Earps and the Clantons were, basically, you could say rival gangs. The Earps had the favor of the town of Tombstone. The Clantons were favored by more of the ranchers and, you know, outer folk. And so it was pretty much, you know, a clash between the city and the country. Pa Clanton died a few weeks before the shootout, so he was dead by this point. And Johnny Ringo and Bat Masterson had already left town, so neither of them were involved in the events at the OK Corral.
2: I thought it was funny. I did after we watched this look up some history about it because I thought it was a pretty interesting serial and was surprised to see that these
0: figures did not really play a large role. <laughs> Let's see. What else? Oh, Ike Clanton. He survived the shootout. He ran away at the beginning because he didn't have a weapon.
3: That's right. And I was just remembering my my exposure to this point in history was the Star Trek episode where they ended up on an alien planet that was recreating this entire gunfight.
0: Of course it was.
3: And Chekhov was Ike Clanton.
0: <laughs> there were actually the people who were involved in the shootout. You had Billy Clanton and then you had three other people on that side who are Sir not appearing in this uh, show. And you also had Morgan Earp, who is actually there, but wasn't in the show. So plenty of historical inaccuracies. Not to mention Doc Holliday was like 20 years younger than he was portrayed on the show. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's
2: right. He was pretty old.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Although he was like the only convincing uh, American accent for the most part. I
2: th- I thought that was a little bit of artistic license though so that they could have our doctor, you know, yeah. the doctor be confused for him. Because exactly. if he was a young guy and then the doctor shows up, he'd be like, "Aren't you supposed to be like 20 or 30? 30?" Yeah.
0: <laughs> this was commissioned while Wiles and Tosh were still in charge. When Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis saw the script, they didn't like it at all and seriously considered cancelling the story. Neither of them liked historicals very much. They didn't like the concept of the historical. They especially didn't like the idea of a comedic historical. So they really wanted to get rid of it, but there was really nothing to replace it with. So it went ahead. And just like with Cotton's last script, This story has its comedic moments, and then it begins to turn very dark as soon as Johnny Ringo arrives. Yeah. (laughs) The Gunslingers was the first Western to be made by BBC television and one of the first British Westerns, period. Oh,
2: man. Does that mean that they had to, (laughs) like, that they were the model for the clothing and the sets and everything?
0: This was not a genre the British are used to making.
2: Well, no, sh- yeah. <laughs> sure, but I, but as I understand it, a lot of the BBC's production, like yeah. the reason that they were able to do Doctor Who and keep it cheap and that sort of thing is they could draw on the BBC's uh, vast costume wardrobe mm-hmm. and ton of sets that they just had lying around and, and props and that sort of thing. So you're telling me that this was probably more expensive than they're um- used to.
0: I didn't note anything about it being overly expensive, but yeah, I'm sure that they had to, you know, build a lot of those sets and costumes more from scratch than they were used to. I mean, maybe they had access to some theater stuff or something. It's possible, yeah. But this was really their first Western work at the BBC.
3: That's impressive. I would not have thought that. You could tell when you listen to their accents, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think they, they had three people actually do a good Texan accent. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the whole,
1: yeah, the whole time I was thinking to myself oh, like is this like is this what it was it sounds like to especially like early television American television that's supposed to be set in England like Dick like you know, or like Dick Van Dyke uh you know doing a British accent like is this what it sounds like to them <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> But yeah, no I they just British people I guess are just about as good as doing American accents as Americans are at doing British ones so other things going on behind the scenes around this time uh william hartnell gave an interview in which he admitted that he was becoming increasingly argumentative on set and he said that what he really needed was some more time off innis lloyd meanwhile having worked with hartnell for a story now was beginning to feel that hartnell really was no longer up to carrying a show anymore And he realized that something was going to need to change if the show is going to continue past the end of this current production block. Meanwhile, on the writing side... Uh, Jerry Davis wanted to improve the scientific content of the show since they wanted to focus on the science and increase the realism. So he began sending out messages to a number of scientists and doctors around London, hoping to find someone to act as the show's scientific advisor. Most people who got these messages ignored them, except for an ophthalmologist named Kit Pedler, who is extremely interested in getting involved and started to submit some story ideas. So we'll talk more about him next time. Uh, Some of our important people for this story, director Rex Tucker, if you recall... Tucker was the original temporary producer for the show before Verdi Lambert was hired, so way, way back at the very beginning. This would be Tucker's only credited work on the series, even though he had helped to create it in the early days. He predictably did not get along very well with Hartnell, who decided that Tucker felt he was too good for the show. Although that might be the case since Tucker really didn't like the script and possibly didn't particularly want to be there. If you notice, he isn't credited for episode four. Tucker and Lloyd disagreed on the episode's editing and Tucker asked to have his name removed from that episode. Uh, the music for this one is the ballad that we hear throughout. Throughout. <laughs> throughout. out. Ad nauseum. Yep. Written by Tristram Carey. Uh, this was the first story to have a song written explicitly for it. And the next time wouldn't be for another 17 years. That's how frustrating it was. <laughs> Everybody involved said never again.
2: <laughs>
1: Well, it's, you can it's certainly like they were trying to get their money's worth
0: out of it yes uh the designer of this story was Barry Newberry uh, Newberry went to Tombstone and took photos whoa yeah he decided he was going to make the sets close to accurate but not a hundred percent accurate because it would have looked too cheap and shoddy <laughs> if he had made it too accurate
2: <laughs> so wait did he go there for this or yep. was wow.
0: So I guess their, their production values had gone up quite a bit. He went and did his research, yeah. Wow. Uh, so some of our cast members, we have Linda Barron, who was the singer of the song. Uh, she'd have plenty of roles in British television. She'd show up on screen in Doctor Who for the first time in 1983. And she was also in a modern Doctor Who episode, Closing Time.
2: Now wait, is Linda also Kate? Uh, No. Okay. I, in, in, in my brain, it was Kate singing all of those
0: yeah. ballad
3: pieces. <laughs> I think that's what we were supposed to believe, too. Yeah. So the illusion was perfect.
0: Yeah. There was actor David Graham, who played Charlie the Barman. Poor Charlie. He had worked on Doctor Who before as one of the voices of the Daleks in all of their appearances so far. So Charlie the Barman was also the Daleks. And apparently he's still alive and deep into his 90s at this point. Anthony Jacobs, who played Doc Holliday, was another one of those actors who was in a bunch of things. But the most important thing with him is that he often brought his son Matthew to the set to watch the filming. And Matthew Jacobs would go on to write the 1996 Eighth Doctor movie.
1: Which is where my journey began.
0: Yep, same here. (laughs) There was also apparently a character named Settler's Daughter who was played by Jane Tucker, the director's daughter, who would later find fame as a children's entertainer and who was originally supposed to sing the, the ballad, but they decided her voice lacked the necessary presence, whatever that means. Rex Tucker decided to hire Canadians for most of the rest of the supporting cast. So I guess this is what Canadians think that old Western-y accent sound like. For this one, there's a surprising number of almost cast people for roles in the story. Johnny Ringo was offered to an actor named Patrick Trowden, who will become significant in the future but Trowden had a scheduling conflict and was unable to take part. Uh, the role was also offered to an actor named Philip Maddock, who'll end up playing a number of roles on the show in the 60s and 70s. There was also another conflict that prevented Donald Sutherland from playing Wyatt Earp when he was cast for the role, so he could have had Donald Sutherland as Wyatt Earp. And the role of Kate was almost played by Carol Cleveland, who'd go on to appear in most episodes of Monty Python and all of their movies. So, just some other notes before we get into it. Uh, this is the only serial of the original series to take place entirely in the United States. And the date that they land is October 24th, 1881, in case anybody is wondering. In the last chance So we'll move on to episode one, A Holiday for the Doctor. Get it? Get it? Yes, that was clever. (laughs) Yeah. I could have come up with that one. Yeah. So, of course, we open with the song, that damn song. (laughs) We learn that we're going to go to the... (laughs) Oh, God, I can't remember what it's called. What's the saloon called? The Last Chance Saloon. Last Chance, yeah. We learn we're going to the Last Chance Saloon. The Clanton brothers ride into town on horseback, and Billy shoots a sign that says, OK, Corral. So we learn right away that Billy's the impulsive one, Ike is the leader and the one who's going to call Billy a fool a lot, and Phineas is the one who stutters. Apparently, Doc Holliday shot up their brother Reuben. So they're in town looking for revenge and they're going to meet up with Seth Harper at the saloon. The damn song plays again. As this is going on, the TARDIS lands at a nearby stable... And the doctor comes out, holding his mouth, since he's still got a bad toothache from when he inexplicably ate Cecil's sweet at the end of the last episode, and he's in desperate need of a dentist to pull it out. I mean, continuity at least, right? I
2: mean, the toy maker really did have the last laugh there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ha ha,
0: have some candy, Doctor. No, oh wait, no, it wasn't the toy maker, it was Cecil. Yep, it was Cecil Poor dead sweet. Cecil. Yep.
1: The moon-faced assassin of joy.
3: Now, why the Doctor didn't say, I, I think I'm going to try one more time. Let's, let's see if we can get something mid-20th century.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah why would you go to a... a, a I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm in severe pain in my mouth. I guess I'll just stop before we have painkillers.
0: so dodo looks outside and realizes they're in the wild west she and steven get really excited at the prospect of being cow folk leading dodo to yeehaw and yahoo and the damn song plays again
1: again and again I'm surprised you forgot what the saloon was called, if I'm being <laughs> yeah, honest, because for like the last week I've been like, last saloon. Do, 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 do. and it's in my, it has not left my head and I hate it. I hate it. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. like, like I don't like it. And that is all I've been all day today. I was like, last saloon. I
2: it's killing me. Man. I'll be lying on my deathbed, and like <laughs> it'll just be ringing in my ears.
1: Well, no, somebody's gonna walk walk over to you and be like, "And Bayard, he was dying, and his breath is running out." <laughs>
2: That's, oh. By the way, this episode has only been on for like five minutes. Yeah, like, and we've already, and have we've already three had times. three instances of this. Well, and it's
1: always it, I remember, it's always jarring, too, when it yes. comes on. Like, there's no intro. It's just like, it'll just cut and it'll be like, Johnny is dying in the bar. And just like, there's just no, <laughs> there's no like background music. It just starts out of nowhere. And it's, just, it's like a broken music box or something. <laughs> yeah.
2: As long as we're talking about the damn song. I may as well get a little ahead of ourselves and say, in this first like episode or two, you think that you've heard the whole song, and then in three and four, they're adding stanzas to the dang thing. It's like, <laughs> will the how many how long is this song? Johnny
1: shot the barman, and the plot is moving on. Not really, you know, like <laughs>
2: <laughs> who wrote this song? When? I mean, presumably, it's after the events. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, like, I'm, I'm
1: just imagining like the person who's singing it. It's just kind of like floating there. And I don't know. It was
0: like like a Greek so chorus weird. or something. It's some sort of ghost.
1: Yeah. I don't know.
0: It's one of the refusions from the Ark. <laughs> they just hung around on the TARDIS and now yeah. the refusion is singing the song to mock them. <laughs> That's what it is. It's the
3: TARDIS. The TARDIS ah. can see into the past and the future, so he's just recounting everything that happened in real time.
0: Oh, yes. That yeah.
3: All right, Headcanon. I'll take
0: yep. it Yep. <laughs> so the Clantons enter the last chance saloon, meet up with Seth Harper, and begin to talk very loudly about killing Holiday as Charlie the Barman stares at them like they're idiots.
3: Oh, why can't you wear inconspicuous clothes like I do? Hmm? Oh, what about me? Don't you like?
0: In the stable, Stephen and Dodo exit the TARDIS all dressed up in cow gear with Stephen tripping over his spurs. Not for the last time in this story. They basically look like they can't, stepped out of Roy Rogers or yeah. something, you know?
1: yeah it's bad
2: i mean the show not you know the <laughs> well maybe the restaurant too <laughs> yeah,
1: steven fell right out of the like the ballad of buster scruggs or something it's 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 so
2: bad andy thank you for updating my reference so that it's not you know like only accessible to boomers
1: yeah <laughs> i did this for you zoomers
0: it's so bad that the doctor, the doctor wishes that they dress inconspicuously like he does. <laughs> I mean, Stevens. yeah, Stephen looks ridiculous. I don't think Dodo's is too bad. Yeah, she's got
1: a Calamity Jane kind of thing yeah. going on.
0: But Stephen looks absolutely ridiculous and he treats us to his even more ridiculous American accent as well. I
2: really wish that it were in color because I'm assuming that Steven's outfit is just Marty McFly's. Yeah. And like Back to the Future of <laughs> Three is
0: like pink and yellow and like crazy colors. <laughs> and so Stephen goes and tries to, you know, twirl his guns a bit, dropping them, of course, and begins to call himself Dead Eye Steve, the meanest gunman in the West, when somebody shoots the gun right out of his hand. It's Wyatt Earp, city marshal.
3: Ah, uh, no, you see, I'm uh, I'm not really a gunman. I <laughs> you just... did kind of
0: make that look obvious, didn't you, boy? Steven assures the lawman, No, I mean it, I'm not really a gunman. To which Wyatt just says, yeah, dude, that's pretty obvious.
1: (laughs) I did like the plot point of like, I'm going to put you in jail so no one kills you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) 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 And so after this, we are treated to the song once again. In the saloon, a woman, Kate, walks by, distracting Billy as the Clantons continue talking loudly about killing Holiday. It turns out none of them have actually seen Doc Holliday. They just know him by his description. Dapper fella, black coat, fancy vest. Bet you all can't see where this is going. The other thing that they know about him is that he's a gambler and a drinker. So he's sure to come by the saloon sooner or later. Listening to all this, Kate tells Charlie the barman that she has an errand to run and slips out as the damn song plays. Kate sashays her way over to where Holiday's setting up his dentist office and warns him that there are men waiting to kill him. When he's told that it's the Clanton brothers, he gets annoyed, saying, You kill a man out of professional ethics and his brothers come after you? The nerve. Holiday refuses to skip town like Kate is begging him to. The town sheriff, Bat Masterson, appears to tell Holiday that he better stay out of trouble, stay out of saloons, and stay away from the poker tables. Wyatt Earp arrives on the scene, our main characters in tow, and is told by Masterson that his rattlesnake friend Holiday just blew into town.
3: Well, uh, 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 quite quite so. Allow me, sir, to introduce uh, Miss Dodo Dupont, wizard of the ivory keys... And, uh, Stephen Regret, tenor, and lastly, sir, your humble servant, Dr. Caligari. Mm. Doctor mm. who? Yes, you're quite right. I just...
0: The doctor introduces his group to Masterson as a troop of traveling players. Oh, this is so great. <laughs> this is Dodo DuPont, Wizard of the Ivory Keys, Stephen Regret, tenor, and I, of course, am Dr. Caligari. This is just gr- so I was
2: <laughs> I was a German major, so I really enjoyed that, and I wanted to see his cabinet. I guess that's a TARDIS. That's the <laughs> yeah, TARDIS,
3: it is. yes.
0: It's the TARDIS of Doctor Caligari. Does he have a somnambulist in there? Possibly. Whoever's singing the song. And of course, this is when we get one of our early instances of somebody saying Doctor Who. Right, and he says yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was very good. So they let Masterson know that they're just here seeking a dentist and they're sent off to Holiday's shop as the damn song plays.
2: Is this the first time that he calls him Mr. Werp?
0: Yes, I believe it is. Because the doctor, despite having these guns and all these Western outfits, doesn't seem to know much about Western history. And he thinks that he's dealing with Mr. Werp. Yet later on he's able to identify Johnny Ringo.
3: Well yeah, who hasn't heard of Johnny
2: Ringo? <laughs> and the
0: rest of the Beatles? <laughs> Johnny Ringo star. He's no Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> Steven's annoyed by both his name and the fact that he's supposed to be a singer. I mean, he could sing a little bit, but what kind of cover is that? Can Dodo even play piano? Have you bothered to check any of this, Doctor? (laughs) The Doctor insists it won't matter. We'll be back at the TARDIS by lunch and we'll be gone in the morning. So the Doctor sees the giant tooth hanging over Holiday's doorway and decides that his tooth feels much better but Stephen and Dodo make him go in. I think one of them was like, <laughs> not very subtle, is it? Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's a good place to hide out from the Clantons. Yeah, exactly. They'll never expect you there.
0: Yeah. So Dodo and Stephen head off to the saloon making jokes about how they hope that the doctor's not expecting an injection when he goes in there. The doctor walks in as Holiday and Kate are having a bit of alone time, and they're relieved when it turns out he's not there to murder them. In the dental chair, the doctor does, in fact, ask for something to dull the pain, and Holiday offers to bonk him on the head with his six-shooter, and offer the doctor rejects. (laughs) Well, he does, like, also extend, I think, a flask. Yep. To him. And when the doctor says, no, I don't drink, Holiday says, well, I do, and takes a nice big swig, further worrying the doctor. Well, you know, like, the
2: doctor seems to kind of like the Wild West setting,
0: yeah. but he doesn't <laughs> like guns,
2: and he doesn't no. like alcohol. What do you like about it? Exactly. The lack of
0: penicillin? <laughs> <laughs> He likes the Marty McFly outfits. He was a big fan of Back to the Future 30 years after this. (laughs) So, yeah, the damn song plays again as we go to the saloon. And Charlie's apologizing to everybody because his singer has stepped out. Billy offers to liven the place up with some fancy shooting and starts shooting some bottles because Billy is the idiot of the Clanton group. Steven and Dodo walk in and are rightly cheered for their ridiculous outfits. Steven gets three rooms and fills out the registry with their names and occupations. They leave a key for their friend, very loudly saying, this is for our friend the doctor, and go upstairs. The Clantons are very excited to hear this, talking about a doctor, and decide that this Stephen Regret fella must be Holiday's partner, I mean, who's ever heard of a singer carrying a gun? Ike sends Phineas to bring Stephen down so he can't shoot him in the back, and sends Harper out to look for Holiday. And the damn song plays. They use it like a fade, right? Like yeah. They, that's what I was thinking. They Instead of like just
1: fading, like yep. they just play the song.
0: Almost every scene change, it's the song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Holiday's finished up with the doctor free of charge as he was his first customer in town and steps off into another room just as harper's beginning to peer in harper of course sees the dapper little fellow and calls out doc and the doctor responds cementing the idea that he's doc holiday holiday and kate listen in from the other room as harper invites the doc to hang out with the boys at the saloon holiday decides to take advantage of this mistake and basically forces the doctor to take one of his guns with his name clearly printed on it, and sends him off to the party that's waiting for him at the Last Chance Saloon. At the saloon, Harper lets everybody know that Holiday is on his way. Stephen and Dodo are brought down and are told to play a song. They try to talk their way out of it, but the Clantons draw their guns. And the damn song plays again as the doctor walks down the street toward the saloon. Don't the
2: Clantons call Dodo and Steven something like Calamity Jane and Sam Bass?
0: (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Billy takes Steven's guns. Dodo selects a song to play. And of course, it's the Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon. So I guess it's already been written by this point. Despite the fact that there are some verses later on that describe the events of the story. And the episode ends as Dodo plays a lively version and Steven sings the song.
2: It's much more upbeat, I will say.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are the occasional upbeat versions of it. There are different tempos throughout, so at least they change it up a bit. Also, note, in the original script, it was Dodo who was supposed to be the singer. But after rehearsing this a bit, they realized her singing voice was mediocre at best and said, (laughs) uh... Peter, why don't you do the singing? (laughs) And, by the way, if you're trying to keep count at home, I believe that was a total of ten times that the song played during that episode. Oh, man, we're going to be
2: counting dings. We're going to be counting... Yes, (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: yes, <laughs> <laughs> song stanzas.
3: i sang this song four sing times already. if we got a different song. What for The same one. It's the last chance alone. It's your last chance of giving. It's your last chance of ride. It's your
0: last chance. So we move on to episode two. Don't shoot the pianist, where Steven is still singing the damn song. Was
2: the title for this one written before they knew they weren't going to have Dodo sing? That I don't know. Because yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that. they were like then
0: referring to Steven or Dodo or just in general. Yeah, just in general. Don't shoot the pianist. Good pieces of advice that I wish somebody gave me the last time I was in Atlantic City. Anyways, Holiday gloats about his trick to Kate. And then realizes that she's not actually there. She's gone off to the saloon. He pulls the derringer out, wondering why women must always meddle. At the saloon, Stephen begs the Clantons to at least let him sing something else. He's sung this thing four times already. Stephen begins to angry sing the song again. Yes, that is a thing that can happen. You can angry sing. Before Kate, Kate's her way in telling the boys to put them guns away and tells charlie to get that new guy away from her piano she's the singer around here steven tries to rush dodo out of there but she wants to sing because she's having fun with all this she doesn't seem to register the fact that they're in danger Stephen tries to grab his gun and go but phineas won't let him take the guns and kate wants him on the piano anyway Dodo, oblivious still to the fact that they were just held at gunpoint, apparently, storms off, wishing Stephen a good night with his new friends. And now Kate's singing the damn song. The Clantons whoop and dance and nobody notices the doctor as he walks in. The doctor joins in with the applause and congratulates Stephen on his fine piano playing. He also doesn't seem to notice that there is a gun in Stephen's face. Then the doctor's introduced to the Clanton brothers and clearly recognizes the name. So again, doesn't know Mr. Werp, but he knows the Clantons. They pull their guns on him, and he quickly learns that they think he's Doc Holliday. And he tries to explain, no, I'm not Holliday. You'll find him at the dentist shop. You mean exactly where we found you? And your gun, it has Doc Holliday's name on it. And the doctor's beginning to realize things are not going well. I mean, there's also <laughs> nothing like saying no, as the other guy. Yeah.
3: Now, as I've already told you about this guy.
0: <laughs> oh! Okay, don't
3: try it, fellas. Nice shooting, Doc, but you should have got him between the eyes. Between the who? The I. Oh, my dear young lady, I... I Kill the next one that moves. Yes, yes, quite so, quite so. Very good idea,
0: excellent. As this is going on, the real Holiday has somehow made it to the stairs inside the saloon, despite never having entered it. Now, I mean, he probably went in through a window or something, but... Uh, Kate chimes in, telling the doctor to just admit he's Holiday. He can take all four of them at any time. The doctor tries to explain... No, this is Holiday's girlfriend. He, she's, He's just trying to pull something here. He pulls out the gun to try to explain more because that's always the best move in this situation. And then a shot rings out, knocking Seth Harper's gun out of his hands. So I just
2: want to take a moment here and talk about Kate for just a second because she's like always in control. You know, she's dancing around the saloon, singing and stuff she not worried about the Clantons. Throughout this whole thing, she ha- seems to have everything under control. I'm not just talking about this episode, but like navigates this entire thing much better than any of the men. Yeah. And it, it's kind of refreshing to have someone besides Dodo of the female <laughs> persuasion in the sausage fest. <laughs>
0: Well, remember, we also have Settler's Daughter at some point. I have no idea when Settler's Daughter is on screen, but there's apparently a character called Settler's Daughter. I was going to ask you about that because I do not recall <laughs> Settler's Daughter. Neither do I.
1: Yeah, neither do I. I've yeah. been thinking about it ever since you mentioned it. And I'm like, nope. Nope. I think maybe, I maybe vaguely remember another woman Like when the shooting is happening. I mean, spoiler alert, there's a shootout at the OK Corral. But, like, that's it. Yeah, Too I have soon, no Andy. idea. Oh, I know. I'm so sorry.
0: You the gave spoilers. it all away. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Kate ends up pulling her own weapon, grabs the confused doctor, and tells him to kill the next one that moves. The doctor kind of seems to catch on to things and has Steven collect their guns. Steven does so and tries to help out by gesturing with his gun. And ends up shooting the ceiling.
2: You know, if it weren't for the horrific shootout that we all know is coming at the end of this, it really would be comedic. I mean, like, (laughs) I know you said that this was envisioned as a comedy, which I just don't see. I, I guess the like mistaken identity of the doctor is mm-hmm.
0: is a little bit yeah, comedic. I mean, you've got the mistaken identity plot, and yeah,
2: the, yeah, there there are a few things, but like even the shootout is pretty bloodless. A lot of people get guns shot out of their hands, and you know it's like haha, okay, we've disarmed you now. Get out of here before I give you what for. Or <laughs> yeah, it's you know? it's it's basically a lot of ah, and then like yeah,
1: <laughs> you know clutching.
3: Something that confuses me, though, is why would the doctor give Steven a loaded gun under any
0: circumstances? (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, out of all people, Steven? (laughs) But yeah, after the shooting begins, Dodo pops out of her room, but the real Holiday forces her back in. Earp and Masterson soon arrive at the saloon, and Earp quickly realizes what's happened. And he, too, acts like the doctor is the real Holiday, shutting down Masterson's attempt to clear things up. He takes the doctor to spend a night in the jailhouse, and the Clantons just figure this is Earp's way of whisking his friend away to safety, something that Earp seems to always do. Then they realize that Steven's still there and advance on him as he gives a pretty comedic who-me face. As this is going on, Kate slips away and goes upstairs to the room where Holiday is keeping Dodo. She realized that Holiday must be here because he's the only one who could have shot the gun out of Seth Harper's hand. Kate lets him know that Earp's arrested the old man and let the Clantons keep on thinking that that guy's Holiday. So let me
2: just try and clear up something a little bit um, Mm -hmm. confusing for me when I was watching this. Because, as I said, I'm not terribly familiar with the source material. So Doc Holiday and Wyatt Earp were working together, uh, at least at the shootout that we know of. I mean, like, that's a historical fact. They were on the same side. So that part is historical. And we know that Doc Holliday actually was a dentist. I don't know about the gunfighter gambler part and if there's any truth to that.
0: But yeah, like, I mean, he was definitely known as a good shot. It's not clear exactly how Was he a exactly disreputable many... person? Because I mean, they were all pretty disreputable.
2: <laughs> so the, the article that I read stated that gambling in those days was not considered a negative thing Per se, I I think there's definitely a puritanical taint to it, right? You know, like mm-hmm. gamblers are supposed to be bad people, you know, folks yeah. that you you wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with, but that doesn't seem to be the case. I I wasn't sure if we were supposed to make any moral judgments. Firstly, about Doc Holliday, I mean, like he definitely has killed people, right? He's killed some some Clantons, at least one. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's hard to say how many people. The historical Doc Holiday, he's he killed anywhere from like one person to twenty people, and it's there's no clear sources. The best guess is like between one and four people. And for a lot of these people, it seems like this might have been their first gunfight or their first major gunfight that they were involved in.
2: So not not really the gunfighters. It's like the pitch hitters. Although
0: it, it, seemed, to be, it seemed to be known that Doc Holliday was a very good shot, even at this point.
2: I guess what I'm getting at is, are we supposed to make any moral judgments about these characters? They, they definitely kind of set up Erp and Holliday, I think especially with the proximity to our, our main characters as the good guys and yeah. the Clantons as not and i don't know if i don't know if like we're supposed to feel that way or like understand certain things about the relationships between the characters like is earp supposed to be a corrupt lawman that he's harboring doc holiday
0: uh, i mean i don't I think that we're supposed to, I th- I think that we are supposed to see Earp and Holiday as the good guys in all this, and that's usually the way that they're portrayed um, in at least the mythologized version of the West. I mean, you know, Earp wasn't really the best of lawmen. And as I said, it was really a rival gang type of situation more than anything else.
2: Well, there's an air of legitimacy to it because he because of sheriffs and deputies and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah.
3: And winner's right history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Earps definitely had that air of legitimacy about them because, you know, they're the marshals of the town and all. Although there was also, in historical fact, the sheriff of the county and the actual sheriff was on, was a friend of the Clantons. Mm. So they both had, you know, the law kind of on their side. It's murky at best, is what we'll say. The history is murky at best. But in the Hollywoodized version, Wyatt Earp's the good guy.
2: Okay, yeah, I was just trying to get an idea of what kind of story they were trying to tell in this serial. And yeah. I don't think that they necessarily... I mean, obviously, it's one of Shades of Grey, but I actually think that they push it more toward the edges in this particular serial.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, a you note know, like Wyatt Earp is definitely, you know, playing games here with mm-hmm. uh, the doctor's identity and all sorts of things like that. So he doesn't seem to be the best of lawmen. And given the fact that he's later going to have a gunfight with the Clantons... Again, not the best of lawmen, but he's still portrayed as the good guy in this situation. Sorry, I didn't mean to
2: digress. I just wanted to talk about oh, no, like no. some of the historical facts. Well, not yeah. not only that, but like trying to wrap my head around, not that there's like a moral per se to this mm-hmm. story, but I I do think that we're supposed to come away with something. And I wouldn't try it if I were you.
3: I have no intention of trying anything. Only people keep giving me guns, and I do wish they wouldn't.
0: Right, so yeah, Dodo wants to go and see the doctor, but Holiday insists that they all just stay in this room, settle down, and let's play some cards. At the jail, Irv has to explain to Masterson what's going on, because I guess there's at least one honest man in Tombstone. And Irv's going to go look for Holiday and insists that the doctor stay there because with the Clantons out looking for him, if he doesn't stay in the jail, then he's a dead man. And the damn song plays. Back at the saloon, for some reason the Clantons haven't just murdered Stephen, and Stephen is insisting that the man who just left here was not Doc Holliday, and he certainly didn't fire the shot that hit Harper, He wants to go and break the doctor out of jail and prove that he's not Holiday. And the Clantons are perfectly fine with that. They're perfectly happy to help out with this break the doctor out of jail plan. And the damn song plays as we go back to the hotel room where Holiday is uh, going to go and head back to his shop for a drink.
2: You know, speaking of drinks, there definitely should be a drinking game to this cereal. (laughs) Because there's, like, so much good fodder there.
3: Every time the song plays, take a sip. Yeah, then you die. And enjoy alcohol poisoning.
0: Every time the song plays, just die, because you're dead if you play a drinking game with this. So, yeah, at the dentist office, Earp's waiting for him in the dark with his gun drawn. And I think that this is one of many, I mean, I think the cinematography in this serial is pretty darn good. Where, you know, you have Wyatt Earp you just sort of see his gun and hear a voice and you slowly see him coming out of the shadows and recognize, oh, it's just Wyatt Earp, not somebody who's going to, you know, kill Doc Holiday. And yeah, so I think that's one thing in this story's favor that I noticed this time watching it. Earp explains, you know, the situation. Holiday really needs to get out of town. The Clantons are eventually going to wise up to this situation then they'll be shooting, and we don't want that to happen. And, you know, he's going to tell everybody the truth about the old man in the morning. I'll release him as soon as I know you're out of town. He explains that the Clantons are running a huge rustling operation. He has plans to put an end to this as soon as his brothers get to town, but he's not ready to move just yet. And so he keeps insisting, get out of town. Holiday reads between the lines that if he doesn't, then Herb's gonna go after Holiday himself.
2: And
3: um, where do you guys come in? Well, we wait outside the jailhouse in case anything goes wrong. Yeah, yeah so that so we can prevent a miscarriage c- 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 of justice. To welcome him back to society. Yeah. Oh, n- yeah. not to gun him down. No, 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 oh, no. Wow. Wow.
0: At the saloon, the Clantons and Stephen discuss the plan to jailbreak the doctor. Uh, Stephen's going to slip him a gun through the window. The doctor's going to threaten his way out. And that's that. Stephen tries to play dumb here, but he can't even play dumb right. And it's clear to Ike that Stephen doesn't believe that the Clantons are just going to let the doctor go. Ike sends his brothers out to watch Stephen and to get some rope. And the damn song plays. <laughs> In Dodo's room... Kate's insisting that Holiday is a real gentleman compared to most outlaws that she's dated. He's just really unlucky. He's managed to stay out of trouble here in this area for a while with Earp at his friend, and he's finally planning to settle down. And just at that moment, Holiday pops in, tells Kate they gotta run, Earp's coming for me, and I've never killed a friend, so he's a real gentleman indeed. And the damn song plays. The doctor's in his cell reading some wanted posters. I thought this was a nice touch because that wanted poster comes back. The wanted posters come back and it also explains why the doctor knows who Johnny Ringo is. But nothing explains why he knows who the Clantons are and not Mr. Werp. So yeah, Stevens at the window passes the gun along and tells him to bluff his way out. And he warns the doctor that the Clantons are still after him. So we have to get to the TARDIS ASAP because the Clantons are going to be coming for us soon. So I think the doctor
2: looks great in these episodes. I really like his get up. I know we've like ragged on Steven <laughs> and Dodo for a while, but the, the doctor looks awesome. <laughs> but he holds this gun like a dead fish you know like
0: it's like uh uh, wait what are you doing you fool exactly which i mean works very well with the doctor's character he's not really a gun holder he's not really a weapon guy which you know is made clear when he calls (laughs) over mr worp and tells him people keep giving me guns and i really wish they wouldn't and just you know gives the gun to wyatt and says that he's happy where he is for the moment at the saloon Ike is busy doing some rabble rousing. He's getting a crowd to go and help him hang Holiday. Phineas brings Stephen inside, having caught him going the wrong way, and Ike has Stephen roped up, saying, If we don't get Holiday, you'll swing in his place. Everyone except Harper and Charlie the barman head out.
2: They got Stephen!
0: They got my operating chair. Wait right here. Up in Dodo's room, Kate and Holiday are about to go, but the noise outside catches their attention. Outside, we see a tied-up Steven going by on a horse, which greatly upsets Dodo. Then Holiday's operating chair goes by, and he's just not going to stand for that. He tells the girls to wait there and heads out. Kate runs after him, yelling for Doc to stop. Seth Harper hears this. Realizes that the man coming down the stairs is the real Doc Holliday and goes for his gun. But Holliday shoots him dead and we get our first ding. Our first ding at the Last Chance Saloon. Charlie warns Holliday not to go out there. The whole town's viled up and wanting his blood. And Holliday agrees. He has Kate go and get three horses because for some inexplicable reason he's going to bring Dodo with them. And he forces Dodo out. At the jail, Clanton calls out Holiday, or else. And the damn song plays as the episode ends. So
2: I I wanted to make a note of something here while we're we're talking about this episode. Earlier, you're talking about the uh, nice use of light and shadow with Wyatt Earp coming out of the darkness. Yeah, there there was also some pretty good, and we'll have it here at the end of this episode and at the beginning of the next one. Kind of look like night scenes, like night shooting. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming all of this was done in a on a soundstage or a studio. That's what I'd assume, yeah. Which you know is also noteworthy because that means that they bu- pulled a horse in here, <laughs> which you know we don't have <laughs> the best track with record. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Never forget the monkey. Yeah,
2: never yeah. forget the monkey, never forget the collapsing horse. Yeah. Wait, d- did it die or did it just collapse? I can't remember. No, it just fainted.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's dead by now.
2: Yeah. Well, well yes. <laughs> pour one out for my homie. R.I.P. horse. I'm sorry. One of, my fr- it's just,
1: uh, one of my friends, every time there's a dog in a movie, he would say to his girlfriend, that dog's dead. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh you can't help it <laughs> well what i was <laughs> what i was getting at is i i don't know if it's because they were on a sound stage or what but the lighting control uh yeah. in these episodes is is really nice i mean we've got like i realized that it Brings to mind not so great things about American history, having, you know, guys with nooses around their necks and, and, you know, uh, torches and that sort of thing. But I thought the light and shadow in this episode was pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, the light and shadow is really good. Vex Tucker has kind of had a fluidity with his camera that we haven't really seen on the show before that I think gave this serial a very cinematic quality. So, I mean, I think that his directing on this story, no matter how much he might not have wanted to be there, his directing was pretty top-notch based on everything that we've seen so far. But, yeah, uh, let's move on to episode three, Johnny Ringo, and the damn song plays, of course. Well, things are going to, like, quickly accelerate
2: as we move into episodes three and four because we know where we're going by episode four, which is going to be our climax. And not a whole heck of a lot has happened except some like hijinks with mistaken identity so far. Oh,
0: and for those of you keeping count, there was eight more uses of the song in the previous episode. So up to 17 uses of the song my god,
3: Man. <laughs> you're
1: making me relive it.
0: <laughs> oh, I am mentioning every single time <sighs> the song plays.
3: And after all of this, we're going to go ahead and sing all together the entire song <laughs> just so everyone can hear it.
0: Oh, I already know. I'm not even keeping track of what our three things for the beginning of the episode are because it's going to be four things and I already know what those four things are. I hope everybody's getting their singing voice warmed up. Shawnee, I I hope that we're just singing the whole uncut song of this. Earp tells Clanton to give this up and send everybody home as the Clantons prepare to hang Steven. The doctor insists on going out there, but Earp stops him. Earp's going to go out the back, head around behind the crowd... And deal with it from behind. And tells Masterson to lay the old man out if he tries anything. As Phineas puts the rope around Stephen's neck. Earp comes up from behind him. And brains him with the gun. (laughs) He removes the noose from Stephen. And threatens to shoot the first person to move. While also trying to um, taunt Billy Clanton into it. Because of course it'll be Billy if anybody's getting shot here. Masterson and Earp send everyone home, except for Phineas, who's under arrest for attempted hanging. Then Charlie comes running from the saloon, calling for the Clantons and saying the old guy's not Holiday. The old guy's not Holiday. Earp tries to shut him up, but he continues telling them that Holiday just shot Harper dead. The Clantons are really mad, knowing that they've been tricked about the old man. Uh, Billy continues talking some crap, but Ike says it's time to go home and get our pa involved. Erp, Bat, and Steven take the unconscious Phineas into the abode of the unrighteous, as Erp puts it.
2: And the song plays.
0: And the damn song plays. So <laughs> there, there's like an
2: injection of character into this particular episode, Besides Johnny Ringo, who we know is showing up, I mean, his name's on the title of the episode, and we've heard his name earlier in this serial. As Kate's ex, yep. Charlie hadn't really had very much characterization at all, Um, and he definitely gets some in this episode, you know, like, he's kind of a tertiary character at best, but, like, suddenly becomes very important. Suddenly becomes the town gossip. Well, yeah. Also, we've heard about Pa... Just like we heard about mm-hmm. Reuben, but we have we still haven't met him.
3: No, I did also like that Wyatt Earp resorted to the batman school of nonviolence by <laughs> providing blunt force trauma directly to the cranium yeah
2: but that's what i'm saying oh,
3: he'll be fine no there's
2: there's a yeah he doesn't need to stutter any more than he already does but that's what i'm getting at with this serial like there are a lot of potential spark points for gunplay but it just never seems to happen you know like Somebody sneaks up behind him, or you get the drop on him, and it's like, oh, well, you got me this time, but I'll be back. Okay, I guess I'll just let that happen.
3: Was it necessary for Mr. Werp to hit him so hard? Now, then, Doctor, it wasn't your neck in the noose just now. I, for one, am very grateful to Mr. Werp.
0: Right, so in the sheriff's office, the doctor's busy complaining about Mr. Werp hitting Phineas too hard, and the only reason I mention this is because it leads Stephen to accidentally call in Mr. Werp as well. The Clantons walk into the saloon, this time with their pa, who's telling them to go and get Johnny Ringo. Billy objects, saying that he rides alone, but pa says to offer him $500. And if I had sons who could get a job done, I wouldn't have to pay that for a top gun. And at this point, I'm wondering if Val Kilmer's going to walk in. I mean, he would be Doc Holiday, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah. If I had the sons that could do the job without getting all fouled up, I wouldn't have
3: to pay it. But I am now. I need a top gun. Listen.
0: Pa has about fifty drinks during this like two minute long conversation, insults his sons about half a dozen times, and then walks out, instantly becoming my favorite person in this story. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, he is also the lone actor in this story who is born in the United States.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Born in Wisconsin. But yeah, they all walk out moments before Stephen and the doctor walk in discussing Dodo. Charlie, of course, being the gossip of the town now, lets them know that Dodo's checked out. She left with Caden Holiday and the damn song plays. Holiday, Kate, and Dodo are at a hotel not far outside of Tombstone, where Holiday wants to stay for the night. I mean, there's a bar and some gambling nearby. Kate thinks they should just keep riding and get as far away as possible, but Holiday insists. He wants to stay close by, as he's sure that Earp will call for him at some point when the real trouble begins. Dodo also reminds them that she's still here and that she really needs to get back to town as well. Holiday goes out to go get some food for them. Five shots ring out, and Holiday comes back with a tray, saying he ran into an old friend who uh, lost his appetite. So I'm assuming ding for Holiday's old friend. (laughs) I murdered someone to get this
2: food for you.
0: Love me, Kate. Love me. I do like how Dodo
3: summed up her entire existence. I am also here.
0: <laughs> 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 the damn song plays as a dark figure walks up to the saloon prepping his gun. The man walks in as Charlie's closing up for the night and the man insists that he open it back up. Charlie turns to argue and he recognizes the man as Johnny Ringo Star. Charlie changes his tune immediately and gets him a drink. Ringo wants to know how Charlie knows who he is and what he's heard about him. Charlie tells him, well, the Clantons are wanting to hire you to go against Erp with them. But Ringo turns out he's here on personal business. He wants to kill Doc Holiday as well. Charlie lets him know, of course, that the Clantons are after Holiday too.
3: Now Charlie the
0: Bomber has a then Charlie says something really stupid that he can't wait to see the look on Herb's face when he learns that Ringo's going against him. And Ringo says, why? You planning on tell him? Charlie, you say too much. Charlie promises he's not going to say anything as Ringo walks away. And Ringo responds with, ain't that the truth? And shoots Charlie dead. Ding for Charlie the barman as Ringo wishes him a good night. And we hear the damn song talking about how Charlie's dead as we get a slow zoom out from Charlie's corpse splayed across the bar.
1: Doesn't it do it like twice too? Like, it's like, it slows out. It's like, Charlie's friggin' dead now. And then, like, five <laughs> yeah. minutes later, it like cuts yeah. back to him again. And it's like, Charlie's still friggin' dead now. And it's.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do get a little
0: bit about Charlie twice. Yeah, about how Charlie's wearing like, a Do shroud. we really
1: need to reestablish Charlie twice, and do we really care enough to have not one, but two repetitions of a verse about
2: Charlie? Well, it's it's not only that, but the song is like, couldn't keep his mouth shut, and now he's taking a dirt nap. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: Snitches, they get stitches,
1: and Charlie's dead.
3: You know, it's just... <laughs>
1: It's not a very, like, the, the the song narrator is not very friendly, you know? right.
3: Well, every time the song was played in the bar, that was Charlie's least favorite verse. It was like, that's, yeah. that hits really close to home, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'd appreciate if you didn't sing that one. Yeah. You're <laughs> you ain't planning on running out.
1: For the first time in my life, I have just been taken, beaten to the draw.
3: Oh, I honestly didn't want
0: to have to shoot you. And I didn't want to have to shoot you, neither. (laughs) (sighs) At the hotel outside of town, Dodo bursts into Holiday's room, asking if he's ready to take her back home like he promised. When he says that he'll get to it in his own good time, she grabs his gun and aims it at Holiday, who laughs. When she cocks it, he stops, asking how she plans to get back to Tombstone without him. She says, oh, don't worry, I'm just going to shoot you in the arm. And he points out that she's currently aiming right between his eyes. She apologizes, adjusts his aim, and he promises to take her back by nightfall. She gladly gives up the gun and asks for some water as she's feeling a bit faint. Kate comes in, asking what in Hades is going on around here. And Holiday says that he and Dodo are heading back to Tombstone. As for the first time, he's been taken and beaten to the draw. Dodo says, thank you, I really didn't want to have to shoot you. Holiday produces the Derringer that he's been holding the whole time, saying, you know, I really didn't want to have to shoot you either. And Dodo faints straight away. You know, I kind of like this because it just gives her a little bit more spunk. I'm not a big fan of Dodo, but... um. Yeah, I have to say this scene and possibly this serial is the best that we have seen from Dodo. It's kind of sad that this is the case, but this is Dodo at her best somehow. <laughs> I mean, Dodo is almost actually a character. There's something kind of charming they give her about like, it. Nothing too. to do. Yeah, too, no, that's right? true.
1: Nothing to do. I mean, <laughs> like she makes the most of it. I feel like that I, for some reason, like, I don't know why, but when she like fangirls over both like Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, I thought it was actually endearing and cute. Uh, oh, I've always wanted to meet you. Yeah. Uh, it actually like works somehow, even though it's like inane, but like, so is most of this.
2: <laughs> I like that. Uh, we know she's not going to shoot Doc Holiday. Doc Holliday knows that she's not going to shoot him. Unless it's by accident. <laughs> he wonders if she might not Yeah
1: Yeah, I did like that a little bit Because, you know, you can tell Like, he was like Well, I mean, I'm mostly amused Yeah But <laughs> yeah. But you still did draw the, the non-zero gun. <laughs> possibility
2: yeah. Right Yeah but, but I think he respects her a little bit more You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do too And then, like, he kind of goes along with it You know, he's like Well, I guess, you know I'm your hostage
0: <laughs> And you know what? We kind of respect her a little bit more, too Yeah until the next time she opens her mouth. Aww. The damn song plays again as the doctor and Steven find Charlie's splayed corpse. And also a Johnny Ringo just sitting nearby relaxing. I'm sorry. I know I keep you on interjecting, but Stephen backs
2: into it. A- <laughs> <laughs> he well could have seen a corpse right there, but he just kind of like, whoa. I don't know you. You have to rewatch that scene because it's ridiculous. The fact that he some didn't corp
0: see some shenanigans,
1: yeah. Let's not forget, didn't he start out as like a fighter pilot or something? He was yeah. a prisoner, like a grizzled soldier. Yeah, right. He was and, a and soldier and prisoner of war. <laughs> now he's like singing songs in a saloon in the most yeah. goofy getup you've ever seen.
2: Was it the Daleks or the Mechanoids? I think it was the Mechanoids, right?
1: It was the Mechanoids. Yeah the the round ones.
2: Rest in peace, Mechanoids. There's just one thing. If you
1: get between me and him, boy, don't go looking to me to hold my fire. I'd blast you down as soon as spit at you.
0: After talking with them a bit, Ringo soon learns that they're also after Holiday, as they had a young friend with them, and she's gone off with him for some reason, and he's amused when they say that they plan to just reason with that maniac. Ringo offers to let Stephen ride with him to find Holiday, but warns him not to get in his way. I'd blast you down as soon as spit at ya. So Stephen Taylor's back in the saddle again as he heads off with Ringo. How dare you? <laughs> in the sheriff's office, Wyatt and Masterson are joined by Warren Earp, who tells them his other brothers can't make it. But it's okay, Morgan's been teaching me how to handle a gun, I can help. Wyatt insists that Warren's too young, especially to go up against the Clantons. The doctor enters, chuckling, and tells them he has news on holiday. He tells them about Dodo, Ringo, oh, and there's also a corpse in the bar. They are certainly not happy to hear that Ringo's in town, and Earp knows right away that it was Ringo who did the killing. They all head out to the bar, with Warren being left in charge of the jail for some reason. The damn song plays, though this time in piano form, as Steven and Ringo are in front of the hotel outside of Tombstone. Ringo figures that they'll be here since it's near the first bar since Tombstone, and hey, he's right. They split up to go and look for Holiday.
3: Johnny Ringo has found her Johnny Ringo's
0: found Kate. The damn song plays as Ringo sees Kate. And the song lets us know, hey, Ringo sees Kate. <laughs> Kate tells him that. <laughs> Here is what you're watching and
1: is happening on your screen.
0: Make sure we sing it
1: all because they paid for this. Like
0: <laughs> Hell,
3: don't show. Yeah.
0: We don't see it on the screen because it focuses the whole time on Johnny Ringo in the shadows. As it tells us, now Ringo's seeing Kate. Kate tells him that Holiday left with Steven's girl and they've run off to New Mexico. Ringo clearly doesn't believe this, but he says that Holiday will have to wait until I finish some business in Tombstone anyway. He tells her that he's been trying to decide what to do about her for two years since he's been following her in Holiday. And he's finally decided that she's going to be coming back with him unless she wants him to change his mind. Very subtle threat.
2: Yeah, he's very menacing here. I mean, like, not only is he like a huge stalker, having tracked them for, you know, a few years now. But then he, like, straight up threatens her. I mean, yeah, he brings
0: the menace into this gunfight situation. Well,
2: also, Kate so far has been pretty in control of all of the situations. This is the first time where it's like, oh, okay, somebody's got the better of her.
0: Yeah, and it's the actual madman in the story. Well,
2: yeah, I mean... We already know he's a bad dude. He killed someone who is, like, no threat at all. Yeah. And we heard all
0: about it. (laughs) Several times. In the jail, Phineas is taunting Warren about how his brothers would never leave me be. Just look behind you. And the Clantons burst in. They tell Warren to get the keys, but he goes for a gun. And I'm assuming it's Billy who shoots him. The Clantons quickly free their brother and flee, and the damn song plays as the camera lingers on Warren's body.
2: This was sad.
0: It does does that like twice, too. It's like, Warren, he got got shot, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I saw it. Okay, I saw it, all right? (laughs) Don't forget, he's got shot. Oh, and now that he is dead. It's
0: like, oh, my
3: God. <laughs> now, that was a point of historical accuracy, too, wasn't it? Warren actually dies before the fight.
0: Yep, Warren actually dies before the fight and not in 1900.
3: <laughs> it's curtains for Warren. They've done work dumb.
0: So we move on to episode four, the OK Corral. The damn song plays as hats are removed for Charlie the Dead Barman. Erp decides that since the Clantons think the doctor was the one who shot the gun out of Harper's hand and all, he could be useful to have around when the shooting starts, and he deputizes him, ignoring the doctor's protests. There's
2: nothing you want more than somebody who says, "I don't want to be your deputy." Yeah, as your deputy, I don't like
0: guns. Don't give me this gun gun
1: between their (laughs) holds a gun like between their
0: pinched fingers, like it stinks. Yeah, (laughs) here's a badge. (laughs) See, Wyatt Earp doesn't care if they shoot the doctor. He just cares that they shoot the doctor before they shoot him.
3: Right, it's a big selling point to say, hey, (laughs) you are a perfect human target. Come on, be on my side.
0: Look, in the actual historical gunfight, there's probably a reason why everybody involved either got injured or at least got hit by a bullet except Wyatt Earp. (laughs) Wyatt Earp had a reputation of not getting shot in the gunfights he was involved in. (laughs) Earp says that they need any advantage they have. They're already up against long odds. And, you know, Wyatt's going to take anything to help shorten them. And at that exact moment, his brother Virgil moseys on in, saying he'll help shorten those odds even more. They head back to the office. The doctor staying behind to lament the situation he's in and accidentally touching a corpse as well. Meanwhile, the Clanton brothers joyously arrive back at the family ranch, crowing about getting them an earp. Ringo is very interested and asks Wyatt, and when they say no, we got Warren, Pa bangs his stick and says, well, now you've really gone and declared a war. The word idiots being left implied. And the damn song plays. Warren is still apparently clinging to life as his brothers tend to him. This really surprised me, by the way. I thought he was dead right away. The song promised us that Warren was no more, and yet he's alive just long enough to tell them it was the Clantons. So we finally get to ding Warren. Masterson promises that he'll get a warrant for the Clantons, but Wyatt's not having none of that legal stuff. He sends Virgil to tell the Clantons he'll be waiting for them come sunup at the O.K. Corral. The actual gunfight took place at 3 (laughs) p.m. The sun (laughs) rises very late in the day. Yeah. (laughs) Very late in the day in Arizona.
2: Was it winter?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Masterson questions the legality of this course of action and says that he can't stand with him if he goes down this path. But the damn song plays as Wyatt loads his gun.
3: Your friend there, whose side's he on?
0: Oh, I'm with you and Wyatt. You want to ride out with me? Yeah, I'd like to.
1: Somehow, I don't think it's going to be possible.
0: As the Clantons are eating, Steven tells Kate that he's going to try to slip away and get word to Holiday. But Kate just tells him he'll die within 10 yards. And I mean, she's absolutely right. Someone arrives outside, who Ringo IDs as the Marshal of Dodge City, Virgil Earp. Virgil delivers the message, and seeing Steven, asks whose side he's on. Steven, almost puppy-like, declares his allegiance to Wyatt and Virgil, for which he gets a gun pointed at his face, and Virgil leaves once the Clantons agree to the gunfight. The Clantons are very happy with the two against four odds, but Ringo says they haven't a hope against those two, which is why the Clantons are going to be the bait, and Ringo's going to shoot at them from behind. At the Erps, not the Clantons. It would be really silly if Ringo was going to shoot at the Clantons from behind. They'd yeah. never see
3: it coming.
2: <laughs> but, I mean, he he does want to use them
0: as bait. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> he rides alone. Uh, the doctor enters the sheriff's station, asking what part he's expected to play in The Madness, and Virgil returns, saying the Clantons are going to be there. He lets them know that he saw that Regret fella there, apparently a captive as well. He also noted Ringo's horse, though not the man himself, and Kate was there too.
3: Thought I told you to get out of town.
0: Well, now, why I
3: so you did, but the fact is, I was brought here at gunpoint by
0: a woman. You expect us to believe that? The lady is here, the one and only Miss Dodo DuPont. Ha <laughs> uh, thank you. The doctor tells them that this is madness, you taking on the Clantons and Ringo alone. And Holiday chooses that exact second to walk in, saying they won't have to. When questioned about why he's back in town, Holiday lets them know he was brought back at gunpoint by a woman. And Dodo enters with the Flourish, waving her gun around, which Holiday promptly relieves her of. And she joyously reunites with the Doctor. Why does Dodo still have a gun at this point, by the way? Showmanship. Yeah. <laughs> I just want all of them to be waving
2: guns around in every episode after this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Earp allows the Doctor to resign as a deputy now that Holiday's here, and the Doctor happily does so. Holliday then says that with one of the four men they'll be facing tomorrow being Johnny Ringo, we should play this my way. In the saloon, Dodo and the doctor are talking. He's worried about Steven and is wondering why Warp couldn't just let Masterson handle this through the law. Masterson comes in, says that he's tried to talk the Earps out of it with no luck, and he asks the doctor if he'd go and try to talk with the Clantons for some reason despite the clantons having tried to hang him like an episode ago the doctor agrees to this and is re-deputized at the clanton ranch the boys head off steven tells pa that if they win the way they plan on it masterson's gonna see him hang for it and if that doesn't happen they're still morgan erp pa says they'll deal with it when they have the town in the palm of their hands The doctor enters and asks him to call off the duel. Pa soon learns that the Earps know all about Ringo and that Holiday is going to be there as well. And Pa realizes that his boys are in trouble. The damn song plays as the Clantons ride into the OK Corral. The gunfight actually happened about six doors down from the OK Corral. Historical note. Mm. (laughs) Ringo reminds them of the plan. Fire as soon as you see them and keep firing so they don't look behind them. The damn song plays as the Clantons stand at the end of the street. The Earps are all ready to go with their plan. The Earps go on ahead. Holiday's going to be behind them in the shade. The damn song plays as the Earps appear on the near side of the street. The Clantons are on the far side of the street and the Earps start walking. The Clantons fire and scatter as the Earps move forward and dodge to different sides. Ringo's sneaking up behind Holiday, but Dodo appears out of nowhere and yells for Holiday to look out. Ringo grabs her and Holiday spins around. So the plan actually
2: started out working very well. I mean, I think, (laughs) but like Dodo kind of throws a wrench into the whole works.
0: I mean, does she, though? Does Holiday know that Ringo's right behind him? I'm not sure. No, what I mean to say, like,
2: the plan is proceeding as Ringo had, oh, had foreseen it. Ringo's plan. Yeah, Ringo's yes. plan on, on the, like, their pincer attack. But Dodo's the fly in the ointment.
0: Yep. Dodo being useful. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Ringo, now holding onto Dodo as a hostage, tells Holiday to throw down his gun or the girl gets it and Holiday does so. We see a close-up on his eyes as Ringo stares at the gun and begins to move toward it. Dodo manages to slip free, pushes Ringo down, and Holiday dings him with his Derringer. Holiday taunts him to his face about being his Huckleberry. I wish. And sends Dodo off, telling her if she tries to help him anymore, she'll be (laughs) the death of him. Now get the hell out of (laughs) here. I could be your Huckleberry. I'm your Huckleberry. Oh, my God. Ringo was here, and ain't no more... He joins Wyatt and lets him know that Ringo was here, but he ain't no more. Can we
1: talk about that line real quick? I was actually that line like the one really decent, like Western hard boiled line yeah. in the whole serial. And it I I, I remember it being something like, um, well Johnny Ringo was here and now he ain't. And it's just like so good. <laughs> like it was actually I was actually like, Oh, okay, that worked that works really well. But that was it.
0: I'm going to get Doug Holiday. Billy, completely losing all semblance of an American accent, says that he's going to get Holiday, who pretty casually walks up and dings him. Uh, Virgil quickly dings Phineas, and all three ding Ike as he backs up some stairs, so all the Clantons are dinged. And the damn song plays as the camera pans across the dead Clantons. You know, I
2: couldn't help but think while I was watching this that... First of all, we've talked about violence on this
0: show before, and this was a
2: pretty violent episode, and probably for the Brits, too. I mean, like, I guess gun violence wasn't anything foreign to them necessarily, but part of the reason that Westerns even exist was because, like, Americans wanted to watch violence, and the only way that it was acceptable at the time was to put it in a mildly historical setting. But I, while I was watching this, I'm like, "This is the most bloodless gunfight I've
0: ever seen." Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it's still a kid show, kid show. <laughs> that that being it's said, true, it I was mean,
2: pretty disturbing. Some of, like, especially
0: on the stairs, I thought.
1: Well, yeah, because like you know, his gun—I guess it was empty—and then he's like, he knows he's gonna die. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And they just shoot him down, all
1: of them. I, that was a decent fall too, by the way. There was a little—there was a little bit of stunt work in there. He took—he took a tumble over. He did a—he did a rotation.
0: I—I <laughs> think that the whole fight scene, the whole gunfight, was shot pretty well. I like, as I said, I like the cinematography throughout this whole thing.
1: I mean, at the beginning, when the herbs are walking down the street you know, it's just like, it just shows their feet and everybody's just like, (laughs) like straight at them from cover. (laughs) They're in the middle of the street and they're just like walking, walking, walking. They're like, well, I guess we should fight now. Yeah. But like, nobody hit them that whole time. That was the one thing that to me was just like, ugh. But the rest of it seemed like very, like a very realistic gunfight.
0: (laughs) Well, remember that Ringo said to start firing before they got into range, so I just assumed that the herbs knew what their range was.
1: (laughs) Okay. Suspension of disbelief
0: yeah <laughs> later on the doctor and friends along with holiday and kate walk into the stables uh holiday's getting ready to skip town after what's happened erp's no longer a lawman and master sins put a two thousand dollar bounty on holiday which holiday shows by unfurling his wanted poster which he gives to the doctor as a gift before he and kate leave so
2: i just want to bring this up He gives it to the doctor. This is a pretty cool souvenir from this time period. Doc Holliday's wanted poster. And then the doctor is just just like, so much for that crap. (laughs) Throws
1: it on the ground. Like, I was like, what are you doing?
2: Yeah. Don't you want to
1: keep a memento of, like, this insanity? Like, Yeah, n- like, but no. Nope. At least put it on your wall.
0: Or on eBay. Don't forget, before he throws it on the ground, he uses it to give Dodo a jolly good smack bottom. Oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> to get her to go into the TARDIS. Because at this point, the song plays so hard that Dodo can hear it. (laughs) And Dodo begins to dance along with the song. Nobody else seems to hear it because the doctor just, you know, tells her to come along, gives her the aforementioned smacked bum, throws away the poster, and they enter the TARDIS.
1: (laughs) I just imagine I just I I imagine like some producer being like, Do you think we're using the song too much? And then somebody else is like, no. We commissioned this. We're playing every note multiple times. Yeah. Like, we paid for this. We sent that guy to Tombstone. Yeah. Like, we're, we're in so deep. for the like, editor
2: you know? being like, is it too much? And it's like, do you like your job?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Splice it in again, spin boy. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs>
0: That was eight uses of the song in this particular episode, and thirty-five uses in total. Oh, thirty-five.
1: <laughs> that is so many. I guess it, at some point I got Stockholm syndrome, and they just kind of all <laughs> blended together. I mean, I clearly did, right? Like, it's I'm still humming it in my head
2: now. <laughs> well, hang on a moment. This chance, like the- each time they play that song, right? It's probably thirty seconds to a minute. The episodes themselves are only around thirty minutes long. Yeah, about twenty-three to twenty-five minutes. Could we potentially splice don't, don't together even, all of the songs, <laughs> end to end, for an entire Doctor Who episode? Think of it. This this like serial no. could have been one episode shorter.
1: <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure
0: somebody somewhere has. So in the TARDIS, they look at the scanner and the doctor declares that they're in the distant future, in the age of peace and prosperity. After they walk away from the scanner, they miss the caveman who walks up and looks directly into it. Next episode, Doctor Who and the Savages. It's a bit troubling. <sighs> Yeah,
1: well, we'll
3: we'll get there,
0: I'm sure. God. Welcome back, tribe of gump. No, no.
3: (laughs) Knowing what I know about the series in the future, when is the age of peace and prosperity? Did did they have one of those?
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. What is he talking
0: about? (laughs) So we move on to our discussion wrap-up and our reactions. Are we going to give this a (sighs) thumbs up, a thumbs down? Or a meh, and I'm gonna let Andy go first because. Oh, sure.
1: <laughs> oh my God! Uh, okay. So I give two kinds of like ratings, like you know, straight up merits based ratings, and then sometimes I give ratings where it's just I'm forced to. And in this case, okay, I want to give it a thumbs down, like oh, like real bad. I'm itching to. But I, for some reason, I keep sliding towards meh. I don't know why. It's certainly not the song. Believe me, that song was <laughs> dragging it into the abyss. I think maybe it's just how hard they tried. <laughs> like they tried so hard. Like they sent a guy to Tombstone, you know, they commissioned a song. Like, I mean, they paid for it. Like, they had somebody write it. It's their first Western. I mean, clearly everybody was, like, super jazzed to be doing this, like, Western thing. And, you know, Doc Holliday, historically inaccurate, though he was, I liked him. And uh, that line was just cold enough. I'm I'm going (laughs) to upgrade it to a meh, even though I shouldn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bay, how about you? What are you giving this
2: one? Okay, I was going to walk through all of the things I liked and disliked about it. Let me start off by saying I give this one a hearty thumbs up. I actually really liked it. <laughs> I But but I like the Western genre. You know, I, I finished the serial and then I was like, I want to know about what actually happened. Because it was pretty clear that the serial did not show things how it actually happened. Which I think okay. is a strike against it. Right. But it was still entertaining. Uh, And you got that like little bit of hard boiled. I do think that there were some tonal and pacing problems with this particular serial. Some characters were definitely better than others. They made the Clantons look kind of like bumblers, I thought. And there I didn't like I mean... I know this is like a lot of Doctor Who, where you know, like characters are just running around, and you know, like their mistaken identities and like goofiness, people getting disarmed, and stuff like that that got a little tiresome to me.
1: This is the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Like, I just want to say that right now. This is so <laughs> very sweet. Which, like, I mean, and it's clear that like if you'd seen Tombstone, you'd be like, throw this in the garbage, right? But like, <laughs>
2: I haven't, I haven't seen Tombstone, but. I left. We have to watch Tombstone. I left this episode being like, I've got to watch Tombstone. Okay, that's probably the difference. I'm Where, just saying. No, <laughs> I'm sure that that has something to do with it because, like, I went out and I was like, I need to learn about this. I want to learn about these characters. You know, I want to learn about Tombstone, Arizona. And I hope. That some of the people who watched it back in the sixties were like, "Yeah, I want to learn about this. I, I hope that they left this serial feeling that way." I don't know how well it was received.
1: This is why you're here, Bay. This is beautiful. I
2: even, I even kind of like the song. It was, it was overdone. It was over. <laughs> it was way overdone. But, but when it, <laughs> but when it started in the serial, I was like, "I'm in." Like, at the very beginning, and then by the end of the first episode, it's like, so we're really doing this, are we? Okay. <laughs> All right. Tom, how about you? Um, I
3: I was kind of leading towards meh, but honestly, I, I feel like a lot of the early episodes have some issues with them. Dodo being one of them. <laughs> yeah. Altogether, I think I enjoyed the episode. I I had never seen this one before, and I've seen almost all the rest of Doctor Who, but I'd never seen this one before, and it was much better than I was expecting, uh, because it does tend to have a lot of very bland reviews online. And Hartnell's hat, I love that hat. That is literally the best hat the (laughs) Doctor ever wears.
1: I mean, you can't hang an episode
3: on a hat, but it was a nice hat. No, you can't hang a hat on the episode, though. Uh, (laughs) It was... It was great to see the doctor's rejection of guns just holding it like the dead fish and, and being like, no, I'm, I'm not using this. This is not something I ever want to do. And it's oh, a very long time before we actually see him hold a gun in any kind of threatening way. And even then, it's under extraordinary circumstances. But spoilers.
2: It's a far cry from trying to smash a caveman's skull with a rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think the, the production values were really good. Um, especially for what the BBC was letting them have at the time. I think the the acting was surprisingly good.
0: Except the accent. Yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes. I do. I also remember one time where one of the guys just like, he's supposed to yell something as he's like going over. He's like, he's changing position and he instantly becomes British again. He's yeah. like, right, I'm going to go over there. And it's like, wait a minute. That was Billy during <laughs> <Okay>. the
3: gunfight. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to call that one out. But yeah, I, I will give it a thumbs up. I enjoyed it.
0: All right. And as for me, the first time I watched this story, I absolutely despised it. I hated this the first time I watched it. I thought it was the worst William Hartnell episode that I'd seen. Oh, man. I held on to that statement for years, talking about the first Doctor at conventions. And after watching it again, I have to say, I was wrong. I liked it this time. I, I changed my mind. I'm giving this a thumbs up this time. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I saw the, uh, yeah, Andy was there the whole time just crossing his fingers and praying. But no, I thought that the cinematography in this was amazing. I loved the camera work. I thought the acting was great. The song is nowhere near as horrible when you know that it's coming all the time. Yeah. When you're prepared, when you're prepared for it, I mean it's that's not like as saying as dental surgery is not so bad if you know you're
1: there for it. <laughs> so
0: when you know it's coming, it's not as bad. And everything else about it, I just really liked. So yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up. You, you came about this on rewatch. Maybe
2: Andy just needs to watch it again.
1: <laughs> oh yeah alright you know what I will I will I tell you what I will rewatch this I will sit down and I will watch it at 1x just for you but we gotta watch Tombstone I don't care like watch Party I don't care how we do it I want to be there for somebody who's never seen Tombstone see Andy,
2: Andy I thought you I were going to idea. say but my stipulation
0: is you have to rewatch the Zarbi. <laughs> all- <laughs> So uh, the viewing numbers that we have, uh, this saw a significant decrease in viewers from the previous story and from past years. And it started an extended period of low ratings that would last for most of the next three or so years. Yeah, episode one had 6.5 million viewers. And by the end, it had dropped down to 5.7 million There's a myth that this story had the lowest ratings in the show's history. Well, while it started the decline in ratings, several of the upcoming stories had lower ratings, as did every story from 1986 to 1989. So that's not true. At 30%, it did have the lowest audience appreciation score ever, But you also need to note that the system of how they did that changed in the 70s. To such an extent, the audience appreciation scores from 1970 on are not comparable to the ones in the 60s. Uh, So reactions at the time. The viewers were not kind to this story. Uh, Some of the reviews said that the storytelling was third rate. They called it hackneyed, ridiculous, and dull. And somebody said the script, even for a children's program, is absolute rubbish. Peter Purvis hated working on this story. Sidney Newman went and wrote a lengthy memo in which he said that the story was way too silly and too much of a genre send-up. But he went on to say that even though it was a stupid idea to even attempt to do a Western at the BBC... It was done better than should have been possible, but he felt that only the most sophisticated of viewers would appreciate it and most of the audience would dislike it. So I guess you're just not sophisticated, Andy. Sorry. Andy is a man of the people.
1: (laughs) Well, we all knew this. I regret nothing.
0: Doctor Who superfan Jeremy Bentham, in his review, was as unkind to this one as he was kind to the last story. This is easily his harshest review. He derides the script, the direction, and the acting. Some choice quotes from his review. This serial proves that the British can't do westerns. It was billed as a show about the gunfight at the OK Corral, but it was more the massacre of the OK Corral. And it was not good. It was just bad and ugly. Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I want to say JB's backing me up, but like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to stand with that. That was harsh. Shark sandwich.
2: Well, sandwich. <laughs> you can't <break> yeah. that.
0: <laughs> that part is final <laughs> yeah. Yes. Two word review. Modern reviews. For a long time, Bentham's review was gospel, and this was considered to be the worst Doctor Who story ever made. Once it was recovered and people got to see it, a good portion of the audience decided, hey, this is actually quite fun. Modern reviewers are much kinder to it than the viewers at the time, though the opinions remain very mixed on the ballad. Uh, The 1995 Discontinuity Guide says that it has a great script. Uh, This is a comic masterpiece winning you over with its sheer charm, which is probably the first positive thing anyone had written about the story in 30 years. Uh, The About Time books say that while at first glance this seems to be a showdown between some Elvis impersonators and some lost Canadians, (laughs) a generation weaned on blazing saddles gets this story way better than the people who missed the point in 1966. The story deserves praise for even being attempted. And Elizabeth Sandifer says that contrary to popular belief, this is one of Hartnell's best stories. She loves the ballad. She thinks this is the first time that Dodo works as a character. Yes, And she praises the gorgeously filmed gunfight, as well as the soundtrack at this point that basically becomes a drumbeat of gunfire. In the polls that we have, in the 2008 poll, this was number 175 out of 200. Uh, In 2013, it was 202 out of 241 positives that people point to plenty of laughs tucker's directing especially his use of high angles and his camera style and hartnell is clearly having fun more so than we've seen in quite a while the negatives the accents of course are atrocious uh the song is repetitive or annoying Although some people say that it's not too obtrusive unless you watch it all in one go, like we did. <laughs> so it was our fault. Okay. Yes. And I mean, I guess, you know, if you think about it, Bay didn't make his first negative comment about the song until at the start of episode two. So it didn't really start to grade on him until the second episode.
2: Well, at a certain point, you realize, oh, this is just going to happen from now on every time the scene changes. So like the first time it happens, you're like, oh, this is charming. It like kind of helps put me in in a certain headspace and a certain time period. And then it happens again when the scene changes, and you're like, yeah, okay, well, that's well, that was that's fast. Odd. That yeah. that was sooner than I expected. But maybe it's <laughs> just you know like, and then by the third or fourth time, you're like, oh, we're just doing this every time we move yeah. scenes. Okay, I guess so. Yeah, Are there. How many more episodes in this serial?
1: Well, I mean, by the fourth by the fourth episode, you've realized that it's like actually like a Lovecraftian sonic entity that is like <laughs> bored <laughs> through your brain and taken over the shell of what was formerly you. I mean, that's how I certainly At the felt. the Last
3: well- Chance Saloon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> weeping it in my sleep during the chat <laughs> while we
0: were watching this every time the song played tom just typed in in giant cap letters at the last chance Saloon. <laughs> well i i even thought because
2: the second episode they're playing the piano and they're singing it over and over and over again i thought well surely They've reached the end of the song. Surely that's, that's the end, the end right? of the song in this serial.
0: <laughs> no. Nope. You've killed it. It's already dead. <laughs> and the final complaint about this story is that the main cast is mostly superfluous, although that's the complaint about most of the historicals. Uh, so, some of the impact or some of the other stuff that happened with this story. Uh, when Donald Cotton novelized this book, He decided to write it in the first person from Doc Holliday's point of view. Huh. (laughs) So I think that's an interesting read. That's a choice. Also, at this time, Ennis Lloyd decided, you know what sucks? Thinking up episode titles for these individual episodes. So we're reaching a milestone here because this is the final story of classic Doctor Who with individual episode titles.
1: Oh, no kidding. I'm actually going to miss those just a tiny little bit.
0: So wait, now, what do they... It's just part
2: one, part two, and so on.
1: Yeah, isn't that a little sad? Yeah. Just a little sad.
2: But I, I will say this. I like... One of the things I like about the individual episode titles is it tells you what the writer's or the director's focus was for each episode. You know, like, sometimes they give too much away. Or sometimes it's a stupid pun that's like kind of groan-worthy, like uh, the doctor takes a holiday. But I, I like that extra insight into what was happening when the episode was formulated or, or what we're supposed to take away from it. It just gives the audience more information about how they're supposed to digest it.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, I'm definitely going to miss some of the jokes and the humor with, that we got out of those episode titles. The ordeal. But, you know, <laughs> things change, yeah. Also behind the scenes, the rating and reaction to this story would solidify Ennis Lloyd's decision to start phasing out the historicals. This is actually our last historical for a while that featured real historical figures. We'll have some more historicals yet to come that'll take a bit of a different shape, but we're starting to move away from them.
2: Shawnee, I wanted to ask you something because you'd mentioned like this was low rated, this started a huge slump. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like I don't want to say the word curse. <laughs> But uh, you you mentioned that it kind of starts this, like, downward trajectory for a while. Was it clear at the time that this was some kind of inflection point? Or was it like, oh, this is a momentary blip?
0: Yeah, I think that it was probably seen as more of a blip until it kept going on this way. I
2: couldn't help thinking about what we were saying about Dodo. And what we were saying about this serial, Mm -hmm. because Dodo has probably been the weakest companion so far. And I'm even counting companions that like lasted one episode. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, you know, like in this particular episode, just like the review you were reading, she grows on me a little like she's she's plucky. You know, uh, you kind of respect her for standing up to Doc Holliday and that sort of thing. This cereal is just Dodo. Not not that she, like, encompasses the idea of this cereal, but, like, it, it's like Dodo the cereal. You know what I mean? You might like it. You might hate it. Maybe there's something that you can enjoy
0: about it. <laughs> <laughs> well... Another thing that happens here is around this time, Ennis Lloyd begins to feel that Stephen and Dodo are both fairly boring and old-fashioned as characters. He was already planning on replacing Stephen. As I noted before, earlier in a different episode, Peter Purvis had been told that once his contract was up, it wasn't getting renewed again. Ennis Lloyd began to think about ways to replace Dodo as well. So that's where we are behind the scenes in our uh, Doctor Who at this point. And that's about all that I have for the Gunslingers. Or is it the Gunfighters? What the hell is the name uh, of the, the gunfighters. I think it's the Gunfighters. The gun- so it is the Gunfighters. Darn it. Anyways. <laughs> I thought it was the Last Chance Saloon. <laughs> so it's time to say our goodbyes. Next time we will see the Savages. I'd like to thank Tom for joining us. Glad to be here. Uh, Please join our Facebook group. Talk to us on Twitter. Email us. Subscribe. Rate. Share. Tell people about us.
1: Adios, cowpokes. Well, I was here for this
3: episode. Now I ain't. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time at the Last Chance Saloon. (laughs) 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 Pow (laughs) pow!
2: Good night, everybody. (laughs) Ha, <laughs>